Thank you, worship team. And uh, thank you guys all for joining us here at church. I want to welcome you guys to Rock Fellowship uh, here in person or if you're watching at home in Portland, if you're watching in Arizona, if you're watching in Alaska, we're so glad and thankful that you are uh, spending this time with us. Um, so past, for the past four weeks, we had a series going on and it concluded last week um, with Pastor Jonathan's message about uh, pleasure and happiness and stuff like that. Um, but as I kind of prepared and thought about the message for this week, God really put it on my heart to add in a bonus message. All right, so this is number part five of our current series, Before You Go. And everyone likes bonus material, right? Everyone likes bonus material, right? This is a bonus material. You thought you were getting four sermons, you're getting five. Praise God. All right, so um, I'm going to share today about, uh, and, and, and I'm going to conclude the series and as I was like thinking and praying, like what, what God brought it down to was something really simple. Um, and it's like brought me down to kind of the core issue of this whole like secularism versus Jesus versus Christianity. This whole like, you know, if you're thinking about walking away from the church or walking away from like, what is it really about? And, and as I was studying, God showed me, I felt like God showed me what the real issue is here. And I was like, man, we got to talk about this. Uh, this weekend. So uh, I'm excited to share this message with you. And like we've shared in the previous messages, and actually what we always share is, you know, like it's really important that you watch the other messages in this church and in this series. And you can go to our podcast, uh, anywhere you find podcasts and listen, you can watch on YouTube um, and you can go to our website and you can find all these things to, to follow um, kind of what we're talking about in church. But especially this series, it's so important that you knew what we talked about because like if you, if you didn't watch it and you're watching for the first time or you're here for the first time, you may be completely lost and like no idea what I'm talking about. Um, so I want to encourage you guys to do that. And if you're confused, go back to our website or go to uh, our podcast, Rock Fellowship, and, and, and find the message so you can listen and, and get caught up. Um, so real quick, though, to, to give a basic overview of this entire past four weeks is we're talking to people who, number one, are maybe leaving the church to go to college for our high school students before you go, but also we're talking to people who are at a place where they're considering, to, uh, considering leaving their childhood faith or the faith they grew up in high school and in junior high, they were part of the youth group, and they're like, now that I'm on my own, like, I don't know about this Jesus thing anymore. And first, you know, we wanted to recognize that this is a real struggle for a lot of people, and like, this is happening, and so we got to address what's going on. And what we wanted to do is highlight what's the journey, right? Like people often leave the church and leave faith. They don't leave it for nothing. They leave it for what we're calling the world or what we call secularism. And this is kind of like worldview. It's this kind of perspective on life. And what it comes down to, secularism is building this thing that we call the kingdom without the king. You're trying to build the kingdom of God, but eliminate the king. Like we don't need God to build the kingdom of God. Right? So the kingdom of God is this wonderful place, and we want all the things that God provides, but we don't need God. We can do it ourselves. And so that's kind of what secularism is trying to build. And, and we see this at a global or a, a nationwide scale, society scale, but we also see this on a personal level. Like We see this in people's individual lives where you see them walk away from faith, and they, they're trying to reap the blessings of it, but then they're like, we don't really need Jesus for that. We talked about in the very first, like, this idea of, you know, I want to raise my kids in church, and I don't really believe in God, but I want them, want them here. It's kind of a, a version of that. Um, so, like I said, today we're going to get down to, I think, the core issue, what this is 
all about. Like there's all these complex philosophies and thoughts and words and terms and vocabulary that go along with this kind of thinking. And maybe this is like just for some people, it's like, what are you even talking about, you know? But today we're going to get down to like what it's all really about. And it's very simple. It's very human. It's very understandable. And it's extremely important that we understand what the core issue is. So with that, let's, uh, let's pray. Can you guys join with me as we pray? And if you're at home, pray with us as well. Father in heaven, as we conclude this series, God, I feel you're doing work through this, Lord. Like you're moving through this. And Father, I'm entrusting, we're entrusting this time to you. That Father, you would speak to people who need to be spoken to. And you would convict our hearts in the way they need to be convicted. Now, I don't know if today will be the day things change and people change minds and conviction happens. But Father, if this is just a seed, Lord, let your will be done. Uh, we ask God for your presence in this place, that you use me and guide me, and that we would see you and hear you today. In your name we pray. Amen. So what's interesting in this kind of like the journey out of the church, because I, I know a lot of people who I grew up with who went to church. Um, I know a lot of people who, um, you know, were involved in church and were involved in faith and even pastors who walked away. And what's really interesting is as I looked at kind of their lives and their journeys and the, the conversations we had, there is a common theme for a lot of the people. Uh, there's, there's, there's something that we see in, in all of the stories, and, and maybe not it's always 100% the same, but you see some parallels and some, some similar matching up items in, in all their different, different stories. And, and this is not just in the people I know, but this is kind of understood in kind of within this, this idea of secularism. And this is for like people who leave church, but also not religious people, but who are, who are like kind of living the life of secularism. There is kind of a path and a journey that people are seeing, and I call it secular redemption. Secular redemption. Now, I know redemption is kind of a religious word, um, and the reason I use this word and, and say it's secular redemption is because the journey that people go on after they depart from faith, it is different but is very similar to the story of redemption that we believe in as Christians. Okay, let me say that again. It's crazy because people who leave the church go on this journey or this process that is different but is very similar and almost parallels the story of redemption that we believe in as Christians. So uh, what I mean by that is um, we are, you know, our whole kind of Christian story is that, you know, there's Eden, right? And then in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, life was perfect and everything was great. And it was a time in the past and it was wonderful, untouched. It was perfect. And then the fall of man happens in Genesis 3 where, where sin enters the world and kind of ruins everything. Now, sin is like ramp, running rampant and is ruining everything. So we need a savior and the salvation and redemption story comes through Jesus on the cross, right? So this is the story of redemption, after you accept Jesus Christ into your life, your personal Savior as your Lord, then you enter into the life after salvation, which is what we call discipleship, right? i got to grow in my faith. You know, i got to figure out now how to live my life with Jesus. It's different than before, so i got to change things. i got to be different. i got to grow. And ultimately, the final destination is heaven. And so what's interesting is that our story of redemption, in a lot of ways, those contours, those shapes, that kind of sense matches up with the people who walk away from the church as they're trying to find their own new salvation. It's very similar to the process that we believe in as a story of redemption. So I'm going to take a little bit of time to kind of lay that out. What, is the, what, is the, what are the points of secular redemption? And the first one is Eden. 
So Eden is kind of defined as the inner self, the true self, or the inner child. Okay? So it, it, within the secular worldview, Eden is a time in the past where you were like really happy. A time in the past where you were completely and utterly able to be yourself. And, and unless you grew up kind of in a bad home and had a bad childhood, most of that time is your childhood, isn't it? We think about our, when we were kids, we're like, man, I was so happy. And it's a time where we didn't really care what people thought. It was a time where we just did whatever we wanted to do, and it was fun, and life was so good. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, think about your childhood and all the stories, and, and you didn't have those responsibilities. You didn't have to worry about bills, and you didn't have to worry about expectations. You didn't have to worry about do's and don'ts, except for the ones, the rules your parents made, but even those you don't really care about. And you just do what you do, and you're just happy, and you just live life. And you think about the happiest times of your life, for some people, for a lot of people, they think about when they were kids. Right? Just look around at our children and the lives our children have. They're so happy, and they have so much fun. And it's just like, as an adult, have you ever had that moment where you're like, man, I wish I was a kid again? Oh, it was so fun. Like, oh, I don't have all these things I have to worry about. That is like the Eden experience. And within the secular worldview, it's this, this inner self, this person who I really am, my true self, before kind of my environment and my parents and school and church kind of like messed me up and gave me all these other things that I got to do, right? Like, I was purely myself, and that was an amazing place to be. That's like the Eden experience. And then after that, you have the fall, the fall. And the fall is essentially anything that obstructed you from being who you really are. So this is who I really am. But then things like externally given identities came into play. Expectations, binding commitments, which is kind of like control, and then tradition. So these four things, uh, these four things are kind of, um, kind of traumatic experiences we have growing up that forces us to change, and we can no longer be ourselves. And, and this, is, this is kind of where the church is really, really part of the story. Because for a lot of people, the church, in the church, we see all four of these things. We see externally given identities, right? In the church, we grow up in the church, and, and we feel like people are telling us, this is who you have to be, and you think, that's not me. Like, I have to be this version of myself at church but that's not really me. And we live in a tension with that. Like when I, when I go to church, I have to act a certain way. But that's, I have to pretend. I have to put on a front. I have to put on a, a mask. Not these, but you know. I can't really be myself at church. I have this like church version of me. And then I have this school version of me. Or this church version of me. And this work version of me. Or this, the real version of me. I just, I can't be there. And people want me to be a certain way because of maybe my parents or because of my role. Maybe because I've helped. Maybe because of what I did in the past. People see me as this kind of a person and I'm just not that person anymore. And you live in that place. It's a very uncomfortable place to be because you cannot feel like, you do not feel like you can be yourself. And then in church we have expectations. Right? You have expectations of things to do and things to be. We have expectations from God, and we feel the weight of these expectations in our lives. And they're burdensome. Because we didn't ask for them, they're placed on us. You have expectations of how you're supposed to act in church. You have expectations for how you're supposed to act outside of church, at work. You have all these things that are expected of you. We have binding commitments. I mean, what we say is like we follow Jesus all the time, right? Like it's not just one day a week. 
You know, so it's a commitment to live a certain way. And then we have to go to church every single week. We have to help out. We've got to serve and we've got to teach children's classes and we've got to do praise and stuff like that. And, and you know, like the scary thing, well, let's be honest, when you go to church and you help out, you're kind of helping out for the rest of your life, right? You're like locked in and you can't really step away. We have this fear like if I commit to it, if I commit to it, then there's all these expectations. Have you ever got a phone call from me and asked, would you like to be on the board? You know what, I, you know what the, the, the number one response I get when I, when I ask people that, tell people you've been nominated and, you want, and you're supposed to be on the board, you know what the number one response is? I want to help, but I don't want a title. I, I want to help. I love the church and I want to serve, but don't give me the title. Don't give me an identity. Don't give me an expectation. Don't make me commit to this kind of like image or this like idea I'll help, but don't give me the title. And I totally get that. I totally get that. And this is kind of like that feeling we're talking about. Uh, we have tradition in the church. Every Sabbath, we have a way of doing things and a way of being a certain way. And so, so these kinds of things contribute to a person who may be feeling like they just can't be themselves. Their inner child, their inner self, their true self is inhibited and obstructed and maybe has been beat down because of this place. And then so the sin in, in this story of secular redemption is then the result of living at a place where you like can't be yourself, where you constantly feel like you have these expectations placed on you. You constantly are hearing messages where like you got to do more, you got to be more, you got to be better, you got to serve God, you got to you know, praise God and you got to make him happy. And you hear these messages, you feel shame, you feel guilt, you feel like you're never, you know, you know you're, never, you're never meeting God's expectations when you're in that place long enough for the secular, in the secular worldview, sin comes. And what sin is in this kind of perspective is low self-esteem and unhappiness. Like in the world right now, these, this is sin. This is what people are trying to get away from is they don't want low self-esteem. They don't want to feel bad about themselves. Nobody wants to feel bad about themselves. But because of the fall, because of the expectations, the identity, all the traditions, the control, it's making you feel like less than. And you're tired of it. And you feel unhappy. As Pastor Jonathan shared with us last week, unhappiness in this kind of world now that we live in is not really about contentment and like, you know, that kind of joy. It's about pleasure. It's about feeling good. Like I want to feel good and I want to feel good about myself. And so this is kind of like the, the path of secular redemption. And in this, uh, and in this story, we have, uh, we have after this, you're living in this place of, of uh, selfish, uh, uh, low self-esteem and unhappiness. And salvation comes, salvation comes when you reconnect with your inner self. Where like, you're, it's just so hard for so long and you're like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go camping. I'm going to go to the woods. And, and like, it's that phrase where people say, you've probably heard it, like, I need to find myself. It's like this idea where I got to connect with who I really am. Because who I really am has been lost. Because of the expectations. Because of who, what people think I am or think I should be. Because of the way people or, or society or church is trying to control me. Like, I don't even know who I am anymore. So you reconnect. Salvation and redemption is this moment where you reconnect with who you really are. 
and you find out who you really are and you no longer are ashamed, you're no longer afraid of showing that and you say, I am going to just be myself. That's the moment of salvation and redemption within the secular framework. So then life, what does life after that look like? You know, because now you know who you are. Now you're not trying to please anybody else. You're not trying to please your parents. You're not trying to please your bosses. You're just like, you want to be you. And that idea, like, it's, it's a beautiful idea, just being able to truly be yourself. And so discipleship or life after that within the secular framework is, 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 is this idea of I'm going to be myself, but then the person I am that the world sees is going to be very attractive and it's going to have a lot of accolades and awards. So what, what discipleship looks like in this kind of framework is creating, sorry, creating an attractive outer self that is an expression of your inner self. Like this is the dream in the secular world. The dream is that I can be myself and then the way that's expressed, people look at that and they're like, that's awesome. Like I, I wish I had that. Like that's the dream within the secular framework. That my outer self is attractive and people envy it but it's also an expression of who I really am, right? Like, I think we all know that it's, like, it's not about just being, it's not just about being successful anymore, but it's about being successful in a way that you are passionate about. It's an expression of your inner self, right? Like, if you talk to, you know, the previous generation, like, my parents, they're, they're, they're here, and, 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 you know, like, they, they came from Korea as immigrants. Like, they didn't care about passion, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't care about, like, doing what you love. They didn't care about that. In fact, they just wanted to make enough money to survive and provide for the family, right? And, like, that's, that was life. But now we live in a world, and, and I think this is a good thing, that we want to do what we're passionate about. We want to love what we do and do what we love, and we want to get paid for it. We want to make a living doing things that we really care about, and then we want to have a life that people look at and say, that, that is awesome. Right, this is the feeling, guys, this is the feeling that you feel when you, when you read about or learn about a YouTuber who is making millions of dollars doing like something dumb. And you're like, what? They get to make money for doing that? Like, oh gosh, I want that. Like that's, that's what, or, or when, you, when you read about a blogger who gets paid and then they get free stuff, like that feeling of, of like, let's be honest, envy. Like, oh, I could have done that. I should have done that. Like, I learned about this kid. Do you guys know who Ryan Kaji is? Some of the kids probably know. Ryan Kaji is a nine-year-old who makes millions of dollars in one year. I think in 2020 or 2019, he made $22 million because of his channel where he plays with toys. That's his channel. Okay, I'm, I'm like getting kind of excited here, right? That's his channel though. He started, we're just opening up toys and playing with them and people watched. And now he gets billions of views, he gets paid millions of dollars and he has his own line of toys. And you're like, that's amazing. Like, I wish I had that, right? He's just playing with toys, he's just happy and he's making money from it. Like, that's amazing. That's discipleship, that's life after salvation in the secular framework. That's what we want. And then heaven in this idea is really what it comes down to is a life where we feel good. This is the path that so many people who walk away from the church unknowingly step onto. 
And, and I've seen this in, in so many different ways. Now, the, the thing is that this is problematic for a couple of reasons. The first reason this is problematic is because this is kind of impossible. Right, this is kind of impossible. A life where you feel good all the time, come on, that's not very possible for a lot of us to experience. The fact that there are some people who are making a living doing what they love and having this attractive outer self, like not everyone can do that. That is not reality. And so that's the first problem with this is this, this, like, this dream of the secular redemption. It's not that realistic. This, the other problem, and we've been talking about it throughout the entirety of the series, is that in order to get that, you have these things like unlimited freedom and, and things like that. And, and along with those, it's not all great and it's not all gravy. There's a lot of bad things that happen as a result of it. We've talked about how unlimited freedom can lead to isolation and loneliness. And we talked about that in the second, second message, that this insistence on, on anti-authority and like doing whatever I want can lead to confusing spirituality and theology that is dangerous. We talked about that. But I think the third reason why this is really problematic is because the world we live in right now is the model, is the example of what happens when you live like this. Because this, this is the operating system of our world today. The proof is in the pudding. I've said it a bunch of times in this series. Right? Look at our world, where we are right now. It is a secular world. Is it better? You know, we see the troubles and the pains and all the stuff going on in this world. We're seeing that secularism is not the answer. Not because I say so, not because someone who wrote a book, but just look around at the world. This is the product. The world we live in is the product of secularism. The kingdom without the king. And so as I like thought about this, it, it made so much sense. This is why the apostle Paul says what he says. This is why he calls things like this. What he uses, the, the term he uses is a different Gospel. He says this in Galatians 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly, the Galatians are deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Like secularism really is just an alternative gospel. It is another gospel, a different gospel. It's another path. It's another way that they say, if you go on this path, you will flourish as a human being. You will experience life. Like life and you'll have it to the fullest, secularism is the path. It is a different gospel. It promises in ways what Jesus promises, but going about it in a very different way. And Paul says this is a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. See, with the path that Jesus laid out for us, that's good news. This one, it looks like good news, but it's not really, because look at where it's brought us. It's no gospel at all. And I've realized and I thought about this. Ultimately, ultimately, guys, secularism, it will fail you. If you give your life to it, and I understand, like, like even as I was writing this, even as I was thinking about this secular redemption, like a lot of those parts seem really beautiful. The idea of like, I can be myself. I can find out who I really am and live that out unapologetically. Like, that sounds amazing, right? Like, we want that. But ultimately, it will fail you. And it is failing our world today. 
But what it really comes down to, and, and this is what I, really what I want to get at, the whole secularism and, and Christianity versus Jesus, all of it, it's like there's all these crazy concepts and, you know, sociological thinking and history and all this stuff combined. But, man, what it really comes down to, it's really simple. And it's really human. And it's very important. It's like what it really comes down to, and let's think about it. If you're at a place where you're considering walking away from the faith and walking away from the church, and, and remember, this is not about keeping people in church. This is about keeping people with Jesus. Like if you're thinking about walking away from Jesus, I feel like the real issue, the core issue is not about belief. That, that comes later. It's not about belief. It's not about that I don't believe Jesus existed. I don't believe Jesus was who he was. It's not about that. Like what it really comes down to on a day-to-day -day where the rubber meets the road, it's really simple. What it all comes down to is simply people just want to be themselves. Right? Don't you, like you just want to be yourself and you want to come to church and feel like you can be yourself. That's what people want. And for some reason, and for a lot of understandable reasons, people don't feel like they can be themselves here in this room and here in this place. And some of it is the church's fault. And some of it is our fault, let's be honest. But this is what it really comes down to. Like, I just want to be myself. And I don't want to feel, I don't want to walk into this room and see all these perfect people with their perfect lives, go on their perfect vacations, living in their perfect homes, and feel like I am less than them. And feel like I have to be like them. I just want to be myself. Like that's what it's all really about. This whole secular redemption is finding who you are. People just want to be themselves. And here's the thing, that question of who I am and who you are, secularism has no idea. It doesn't know. And it doesn't even have a way for you to, to figure it out. Like we just want to be ourselves. And like, believe me, guys, I know what this is like, right? Maybe you don't understand this. I mean, maybe you don't expect this, but pastors... You talk to any pastors, they have an identity crisis. We all struggle with this, right? Because let's be honest, there are expectations that you have of me and Pastor John because we are the pastors of the church. And sometimes those don't always line up with how we really are. And so we get it. Like we understand when you come into the, this church and you feel like I can't really be myself, I feel you. And I feel what that's like. And I know how hard it can be. And I know that when you live in that long enough, what you want to do is you want to rebel. Like even at an early age, let's think about this, guys. We are shown from an early age as children this idea of an identity placed on you that what you should do is reject it and rebel against it. Okay? You know why? Think about, think about almost every Disney movie. Okay? Let's think about this. Every Disney movie, almost every Disney movie has the theme of this is what people think I should be, but that's not who I am. I have to do something else. You don't believe me? Incredibles. Think about the movie Incredibles. One of my favorite Disney movies of all time, The Incredibles. They are superheroes. The world tells them you cannot be superheroes anymore. And they struggle with an identity. 
Jasmine from Aladdin. She's like, I have to live in this palace and I'm this princess, but I want to go out and I want to see the world. This is not who I am anymore. Mulan. Mulan, the song, the song is literally, who is this girl I see staring straight back at me? When will my reflection show who I, I forgot the words. When will my reflection show who I am in, inside? Right, like so many Disney movies, Little Mermaid, okay? Like all of this, these are all these stories. We see these people, these characters who something is put on you. Frozen, oh my gosh, Frozen is all about that. Control, right, conceal. Don't feel. So what should I do? Let it go. Let it go. Right? Like this is all that. And so we're kind of shown like in the secular world when people put an identity on you, what you got to do is push back. Fight back. And so I get it. Like people just want to be themselves. But here's what I want you to understand. And this is what we're going to focus on at the end of this message. And at the end of this series. When you look at Jesus, and you look at the Bible, and probably you're thinking, you're like, okay, this is the part where Chris is going to say, God knows who you are, like God has an identity for you, like you should take that and believe in that, the world doesn't know, and you know what, you, you're right, you're right, but that's only part of the story, it's actually more nuanced, a little bit more complex than that, and it's really way more beautiful than that, like this idea of God and who you are and God and your identity, it's actually this very beautiful relationship that we experience with him. Let me give you an example. When Jesus calls the disciples, when he goes to Matthew and James and John and Peter and all these guys, he invites them into what? He invites them into a relationship. He does not invite them into an organization. He's not hiring them. He's not inviting them into an organization. He's not inviting them to, 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 to these, these rules or this institution. He's inviting them. He's not even inviting them into a religion. He's inviting them into a relationship. And all he says to them, two words, follow me. That's it. He doesn't lay out, this is who you are now. This is, now if you're going to follow me, this is what you have to believe. This is what you have to do. This is how you have to think. This is how you have to eat. This is how you have to look. He doesn't say that. He doesn't put that. He just says, follow me. The closest thing we get to a, a broader definition is he says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That's it. And then by walking with him for the next three and a half years, Walking by his side, they walk into their identity. So he doesn't give them their identity from the beginning. He says, walk with me, follow me. And as they do that and live life with him, they discover who they are. God doesn't place a label or an identity on them. He invites us to walk with him. And by walking with him, we discover who we really are. Like, that's beautiful to me. That's amazing. I mean, I mean, think about, like, there's so many stories. I mean, think about Isaiah, right? Isaiah, when he was called to be a prophet, you know, the, the reaction that he has, the reaction he has is, um, is uh, it, sorry, some, some of my slides are kind of not really working here. But, but what happens is basically Isaiah sees his vision of God. And God is, like, crazy, right? And he's, like, so big and so insane. And, he, and his reaction is, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, I'm terrible. 
I am horrible. This is an identity issue. I am horrible. I am garbage. I am scum. Like, I can't be with you. What God does in that moment, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7, it says this. Let's put that on the screen. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with his tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. God comes to him. Isaiah is having this identity crisis saying, I am horrible. I am scum. I am nothing. And what does God do? He comes and meets him where he is and he reminds him, you're forgiven. I know you think that's who you are, but you're forgiven. I've forgiven you. Your sin has been atoned for. Here, this is what I've learned about this whole question of identity and who we are in Christ. It's less, it's less this is who you are and it's more this is where you start. Okay, but when it comes to discovering who we are in Christ, it's less this is who you are and it's more this is where you start. For Isaiah, he's like, I'm, I'm a sinner. He says, this is where you start. I need you to know that you're forgiven. And I need you to know that you're accepted and I've atoned for your sins. Now, let's walk into the identity. Let's walk into who you are. When you think about Moses and God calls him in the burning bush, all of Moses' excuses are excuses of identity. They're all about who I am. So God calls him to do that. And his response in Exodus chapter 3 verse 11 is, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites to you. Who, who am I? Like, I'm a nobody. I can't do that. And then he says things like, what if they don't listen to me? What if they ignore me because I'm a nobody? And then he says, I'm a man of, of, of my, I can't talk. I'm not very good at speaking. I'm, I'm like, I got issues and I can't talk and, and I'm slow to speech. I'm, I'm lacking. I don't have the ability. I can't do it. I'm not enough. And God's response to him through all of that is basically different versions of, I will be with you. I will be with you. See, here's what I realized. God does not tell you who you are. He knows who you are. But he does not tell you who you are. Instead, he invites you into a relationship to walk together so you will discover who you are. Like, he does not limit us with a label. He doesn't place a label on us. He empowers us with a relationship. Right? This is an amazingly beautiful thing. It's less this is who you are, and it's more this is where you start. It's less, it's less these are my expectations. It's less these are the rules. This, it's less this is the culture. It's less this is how you're supposed to be. It's more like, all right, you want to find out who you are? Okay, this is what you need to know first and foremost. I love you. That's what you need to know. I forgive you. You are accepted. You are saved. You are my beloved child. You got that? Now let's go figure out who you are. This is how God wants you to discover your identity. He doesn't throw you into nothingness and help you figure it out. He doesn't put a label on you. He walks with you, invites you into a relationship. It's less, these are the expectation, and it's more, nothing will ever separate my love for you. Nothing can ever separate you from my love. Do you understand? Okay, then let's go together. And while you walk with me and you live with me, you'll figure out who you really are. 
It's so beautiful, man. It is so beautiful, the journey of finding out who we are in Christ. Now, what we find out, as you live this life with Jesus, you're going to learn that there are going to be things that you have to give up. There are things that you're going to have to change. And we don't really like that. We're like, no, just love me for me. Like, let me be who I am. But we, what we'll do is when you live this life of faith, you will discover there are things that you need to give up. Not because you need to earn God's love. Because remember, he said, I, I want you to know from the very beginning, I love you. Like, I got you. I'm with you. I'm here for you. I, I, everything about me, it's, it's all for you. Like, I love you so much. Like, he already put that in the beginning. So it's not about earning his love. But what happens is as we live this life of faith, we realize that those things that God asks us to give up are actually what inhibit us from being who we are supposed to be. Right? This is why Jesus says to the rich young ruler, Go sell everything you have. And this is why Jesus doesn't give that command to every rich person in, this, in the Gospels. He doesn't give it to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus does it, but he doesn't give him the command. He doesn't give it to Nicodemus, who's also a wealthy man. He doesn't give it to any of his disciples who have money. Just this guy, because he knew that that, that selfishness would inhibit him from being who he is. And this is a huge difference between secularism and the way of Jesus. In secularism... Whatever, it goes like this. In secularism, whatever inhibits my freedom inhibits who I am. Whatever inhibits basically whatever I want to do, whatever gets in the way of my freedom inhibits who I am. In the way of Jesus, it's whatever inhibits my ability to be selfless inhibits who I am. Like that's totally different. And I don't know about you, but the way of Jesus, that sounds way better. In secularism, whatever inhibits my freedom inhibits who I am. In the way of Jesus, whatever inhibits my ability to give and be generous and serve, that is what inhibits who I am. So I'm going to get rid of that. Whether, whether it's wealth, whether it's um, possessions, whether it's values, whether it's certain thinking, like this is inhibiting who I am because it's preventing me from being a kind, loving, selfless person. So this is what it really comes down to, guys. Like this whole secularism versus Jesus issue. It really comes down to choosing. It really comes down to this idea of us being who we are supposed to be. And being our truest self. And the question that you have to answer is who will be your guide on that journey? That's the question. It's not what do I believe. It's who will guide you to discover who you are. Will you choose the world? And like I said, the world doesn't know. It has no answer for you. The world does not know who you are, and the world does not know why you're here. It doesn't know. But your heavenly father, he knows who you are. He knows who you're called to be. He has a plan for your life, but he's not going to limit you by saying this is who you are. Instead, he's inviting you into a relationship. Let's walk together knowing that you're fully loved, fully accepted. Your, 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 your destination is assured. You have that blessed assurance in that place, in that mode. You can discover with me who you are. So who is going to be your guide? That's your choice. 
I cannot make that choice for you. Your parents cannot make that choice for you. Your spouse, your kids, that's you. Only you can decide who is going to guide you to discover who you are. Now, I know for me, there was a moment in time in my life where I made the decision to choose God, to choose Jesus. And he showed me who I am. And he showed me why I'm here. And it has changed my life. And it has nothing to do with being a pastor. In case you're scared that if you ask him, he's going to be like, you have to be a pastor. This was before, this was years before I went into ministry. This is years before I felt the calling from God to be a pastor. This is years before that. God showed me when I was 17 years old. He said, I'm going to begin to show you who you are. We're going to walk together and you're going to discover it. And it has changed everything for me. So before you go, before you go, who's going with you? Before you go, who will be your guide? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, I leave the rest to you. God, I, I, I deeply believe, Father, that the way of Jesus is far better than the way of the world. And I, and I believe that because of experience, God. I believe that because of what I see in this world. And Father, I just want all of us in this place, here in this room and watching online, to choose you. Because it has changed my life for the better and I just want all our people, all these people that I love and care about so much to discover who they are in you because that is amazing, Lord. Thank you for being a God who walks with us. Thank you for God, for being a God who assures us of his love, that we don't have to earn your love and favor, but instead we just get to live in it. Like we just get to celebrate that we are loved and we are children of the most high God. So, Father, if there's anyone in this place who is at a valley of decision, who is wondering and thinking and struggling, Father, I pray, God, that you would just reach out to them right now in this moment, that you touch their hearts and their minds, Father, and that you would lead them to a place to choose you. In your name we pray. Amen.